Hi, and welcome to that podcast episode too. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And today we're going to be talking about being a, a lone developer, working on projects on our own, uh, which is something both of us do quite a lot, I believe. Uh, but first, I want to know what Bo's been up to for the last couple of weeks since uh, we last recorded. So, what have you been up to, Bo? Well, uh, actually, since we last recorded, we'd launched our podcast, which was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I mean, we've had tons of feedback, uh, a lot of... Uh, I don't know, the, the reception's been really good, and I'm pretty excited about that. So, um, Also, I just checked this morning, and it looks like our uh, cover photo is finally showing up in the iTunes store. So that's pretty awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so, so yeah, there's been a lot of feedback on Twitter. It's been um, one of the, uh, probably the most interesting thing was uh, right away we um, had the, uh, the website in your, your private repository. Yep. And... Um, the day before we launched, we moved it to a an organization, and fortunately, we had the the code far enough along that we had like uh, we put discuss on it so that we would have comments and whatnot. And you know, a good hour or two before we actually launched, we got our first comment. <laughs> yeah, it was a chap from somewhere in South America, wasn't it? Yeah, was I, it? I think he's from Brazil. I think uh, Brazil. I asked him- I asked him today how he pronounces his name because I, I don't know. So I'm going to butcher this horribly, but it's, uh, I think it's Tasso Evangelista. Um, we've, I've, I've been following him on Twitter and he's been following me for quite, um, I don't know how long, but I think he follows you as well. And uh, clearly he follows your GitHub <laughs> because he noticed yeah. that you had moved the repository and that's how he found the website before we even publicly launched. So that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a bit surprising when you said uh, we'd got a comment. I didn't know if you'd mentioned it to anybody yet. Uh, obviously, we mentioned it to a few close friends and such, but uh, no announcements other than that. So Yeah, it, it, yeah. I remembered when I asked you, I was like, did you tell anybody? Because even the day before, um, I'd seen traffic on Google Analytics from South America, and I didn't tell anybody about it. And I thought, how did someone find this? So I asked you, and you're like, no, I didn't tell anyone. Well, actually, he had found it. He had actually listened to the podcast and commented the next morning. So uh, those those South American hits that we saw um, the day before we launched actually were legitimate hits, which were uh, it was it was pretty exciting. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, just on that website, um, I just wanted to point out to anybody who is listening that uh, I had I had very little creative input towards that. Bo is actually he's a, he's a rare breed in that I think he's got a reasonable knack for front end and he's obviously very talented with back end stuff as well because I can't touch that stuff I'm rubbish but uh, so our really good looking website is all down to Bo I'll give him all the credit for that <laughs> well I I, uh, I need to learn how to take a compliment but um, yeah it's uh, I, I seem to be okay at um, looking at a design and sort of mimicking it. So if I find something that I like, I can probably make something look pretty good. Uh, but if I have to create something from scratch without any any sort of inspiration, it's a little little more difficult. But but yeah, I, I'm super happy with the way the website turned out. I think there might still be some some issues with it, uh, depending on which browser you're looking at. Uh, I haven't looked at it in Internet Explorer at all, for example. So uh, but yeah, it, it's 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 launched and it's uh, you know it's pretty exciting. So yeah, definitely. Um... Uh, has your wife listened yet? Yeah, she did. Uh, we actually listened to it. Uh, we listened to one of the early recordings before we had some of the audio stuff worked out. Um, and then we listened to it um, actually on the way home from tech. So we listened to the the final one. And yeah, she, she, she enjoyed it. Uh, has your wife listened to it yet? A little bit. Um, 
I don't think she'd even considered it until I mentioned that I talked about hair a little bit. And <laughs> then she was quite eager. Well, at first I got a grilling, as in what what had I said and this, that, and the other. But uh, she started listening, but obviously it's quite long, and she hasn't. I don't think she's found time to fully listen. But she goes back to work on Monday. It's a kids' school uh-huh. holidays this week, so when she goes back to work, she might start listening in the car. Okay. Uh, but she'll yeah, be an episode behind by then. So, <laughs> yeah, we actually um, had the the privilege of uh, having two hour, two and a half hour drive to and from Chicago for tech. So we had a lot of time in the car, and uh, at least on the way home, Luke actually fell asleep in the car. So we were able to listen to it, and um, you know, the, the, some of it uh, is, is like personal stuff. And yeah, you know, I kind of, I I didn't really get the grilling that that you did, but I was concerned about that. Like I was prepared for that. Like, I was like, hey, do you want to listen to the podcast? And I sort of wanted to, to make sure that she understood that I was, you know, we're talking about life. And so she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then, like, she, you know, she heard some of the stories and she just started laughing and she enjoyed it. And then later where later she was uh, a little more hesitant. She's like, so are you going to talk about me a lot? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, is, is this going to come up often? Am I going to look bad? You know, those sorts of things. And um, I, I don't think that. Uh, she has to worry about that too much. It's just, just, just life stuff. But yeah, it's it was a lot of fun to share that with her. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, how was tech? Um, very jealous. Of. Uh, tech was really, really good. Um, I I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I've been to I've I've been fortunate enough to uh, be invited to speak at uh, four conferences this year so far, um, and tech was the the most recent one, and arguably probably the most uh, prestigious or biggest or most influential or whatever it's it's pretty well known it's it's an older conference that uh has has a pretty good reputation as far as i can tell um so i I wasn't really sure what to expect i had really high expectations um but uh for for, i don't know i've found that the more conferences i go to the less i can really predict how i'm going to react to them um and for some reason i sort of felt like a zombie at tech, um, just because it wasn't like the other conferences, some of the other conferences where I was more engaged and I actually went to more talks. Um, I spent a lot of time doing hallway track. Um, I think I actually only went to four talks at most. Like, I think I went to the, the first keynote, um, the closing keynote. Um, I went to the, the go talk, which wasn't even PHP. And, um, actually my, my favorite talk was the, um, uh, how to hack conversations. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but his first name was Greg. Now he works for Twilio. Um, and that was, I don't know. It was, it was one of, um, tech did a 30 minute track. Um, they had two, at least two days of 30 minute tracks. I think they were right before lunch. And so this was a 30 minute talk and, about half, I don't know how far into it, but I thought, where's he going with this? <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it seemed kind of weird and awkward to start out with. And he played like this, I don't know, five minute clip from a movie that was really kind of slow and boring. And he, he didn't really um, tell you what to expect from the conversation that was happening in the in the movie clip. So I, I was just like, I don't, I, I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> and then afterwards, he kind of broke it down. And around three quarters of the way through the talk, I started to think, where is he, where is he getting this time? Because the, it seemed like he had been covering a lot of stuff and it was really engaging. Like somehow he had gone from me thinking, where is he going with this and not 
whatever to being like, wow, this is a really cool talk. I can't believe he's doing this in 30 minutes. How, how is this working? And then he said, okay, now we're going to take 10 minutes just to talk to each other. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So clearly we've only been talking for, you know, at most, or he's only been talking for at most 15 minutes, but it seemed like, you know, half hour, 45 minutes worth of talking already. So anyway, it was a really great talk. Um, I ended up getting paired with uh, Kevin Bruce, I think his name is. Uh, he's actually one of the PHP architect people. And um, we, we've been following each other on Twitter and I've sort of heard, heard his name, but we talked for, I don't know, 10 minutes straight, whatever it was. And then we ended up talking again after. And it was really, really great just to have that sort of um, forced conversation thing happen. And sort of, I don't know, I just felt like that. I, I came out of that with the most uh, things that I think I was looking for out of that, that talk. And so that was really great. And it sort of comes into play with what I was saying with the first uh, podcast, actually, that um, I really want to learn how to talk with people better and have discussions and kind of feel more comfortable talking. So um, when I saw that on the the list of talks, I was like, I, I better go to that. That seems really relevant to me. And I came out of it with a lot. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, there was some pretty cool. Um, I definitely, I actually said at the beginning of the year that I'd probably like to get to a one or two conferences that are less about PHP and more about more general topics or more general programming topics and it's not something I've done but that's the kind of thing I'd like to see and I definitely would go to the at PHP conferences if, if there were more tracks or more talks on tracks like that mm-hmm. um, I found I've learnt less and less from other talks at PHP conferences um, and I think that's something to do with probably the, the choices I make about which talks to go to I just mentioned I don't really get involved with front-end stuff anymore, and so there's been backbone talks and Angular JS talks that I could have gone to and probably learnt quite a lot, but I haven't. And um, whereas I would probably go to talks about some of the more softer skills. So yeah, so you were walking around like a zombie. That didn't have anything to do with you staying <laughs> up all night working on our website, did it? It, it did a little bit. Uh, at some point, we decided. Uh, you and I decided that wouldn't it be great if we could actually launch a tech <laughs> and um, you know, cause we had the first episode recorded the the Friday before um, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday that we finally, you know, Tuesday of course was the first day at tech. Um, we decided, yeah, let's make, let's, let's go ahead and do it and see how far we can get it. And um, one of my talks was on Sculpin, which I'd like to talk about a little bit. Um, and I had the bright idea of, wouldn't it be great if the, website was live so that I could put the website in the Sculpin talk somehow. <laughs> uh, so that sort of forced it to uh, force it to happen. So my, my talk was on Thursday morning. Uh, it, was a, it was the 30 minute talk right before lunch. So um, I think I had mo- the bulk of the site ready to go Wednesday night so that I could actually work it into the slides to use it as an example of um, how, how to build uh, an RSS feed with Sculpin. So um, it, I, I didn't think it was shoehorned in too bad, <laughs> too badly, but uh, yeah. So, so yeah, um, that did have some, something to do with it. I spent a lot of time in my laptop, uh, but again, you know, I also spent a lot of time talking with people and I got to meet a lot of people uh, in person for the first time. I, I met Manchuk uh, Twitter handle Manchuk. I met uh, Code Rabbi in person for the first time, which was awesome. And he had the he had cool stickers of his uh, little little avatar. So I have a I have a Code Rabbi sticker somewhere around here. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, the Sculpin talk went really well. Um, 
you know, I, I've already mentioned that tech is kind of a, a big deal as far as PHP conferences go. So I was I was thinking about it a lot, and the fact that Sculpin got a, I, I got talk I got picked to talk about Sculpin at tech is a, I think it's a bigger deal than I really let myself believe, just because it they they actually thought it was worth talking about, <laughs> um, and you know it's. Uh, so sometimes I really downplay Sculpin because it's, you know, it's just another static site generator. There's, there's a lot of them out there. You know, most people actually use Jekyll or some other thing, but you know, it's, it's starting to get more traction in the community and it's to the point where people are actually wanting to hear about it. And people actually, you know, there were people there who used it. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And, um, part of the talk, I, I tried to bring the community in because the community behind Sculpin is really what makes it work. Um, so I, I tried to feature, uh, I think I've featured at least four or five other people in the Sculpin community who um, have really just jumped in and started playing with it. And, you know, those are the people who have examples of doing cool things with Sculpin. So um, I really wanted to make sure that people knew that, hey, you know what, go look at these people, ask them for help. If, you, if you're stuck doing something, you know, the, this is where you need to go to look for you know, inspiration and advice on Sculpin. So it was, it was really cool. Um, Matt Frost actually was in the talk and uh, you know, I asked him, I, I talked to him quite a bit and I asked him beforehand, I said, you know, let me know what you think of it because I kind of did something. I felt like I was doing something weird with the talk and I wasn't sure how well it was going to go. Basically saying, uh, Sculpin doesn't do anything. Uh, go look at these examples because Sculpin doesn't help you <laughs> do things like add authors or categories or things like that. Like if you want that stuff, it's just in the templates. So go look at other templates for inspiration. And, um, and he walked out of it and he told me that, uh, he can't, he felt like he came out of it very well, a, a lot more prepared for what to do and, um, what to expect from Sculpin. So he was pretty excited about it and he's doing a, a selfies blog, that he's creating for himself. Um, and I just saw a tweet last night that said he was going to start on it last night. So I don't know if how far he got or if he finished it or if he's totally over Sculpin at this point, but, um, I'm, I'm hoping pretty soon that we'll see a, another Sculpin site from Matt Frost pretty soon. Cool. I, uh, I noticed one the other day, Evert Pot, is it Evert Pot? I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, makes a Sabre, do you say DAV or do you say DAV? Um, I'm not sure. I say Sabre DAV because I, I think well. a web DAV, so... Um, yeah, well, I saw that, and yeah, he's using Sculpin for that. My um, the guy I partner with on the PHP mentoring program, um, and I like to say partner because, to be honest, the guy's like, I don't know, maybe six months behind me in the things that we learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I um, he uh, he recently started a blog, and he considered Sculpin, and then jumped ship to Jekyll. And I need to I need to give him a grilling and find out why really, because I think that'd be actually some good feedback for you that he actually. Mm -hmm looked at Sculpin and then moved to uh, Jekyll. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. He didn't, I, he didn't say why particularly, but I, I can follow that up for you. Yeah, that would be great. You know, and, and you know, it's, it's not something that I know is for everybody and, but it would be good to know um, what people's thoughts are. And, you know, if, if there's things that can be fixed, great, I'll fix them. If not, you know, I mean, that's why there's multiple tools. So you find the tool that works the best. And that's part of my problem with selling Sculpin is I'm really good at saying that, that, you know what, Jekyll might be better for you. <laughs> you know, you could post it on, you know, GitHub pages and it's integrated out of the box. You don't have to do anything. So that, that might be best. Um, but yeah, if there's things that were obviously wrong, like, you know, it straight up didn't work for me uh, because, you know, whatever the FAR didn't run or something, you know, th those are bugs that can be fixed that might, might help people. So, 
so yeah, this, the Sculpin talk was awesome. I also did a talk on composer. Um, and that one went pretty well. I was pretty excited about that. Um, I've, I got pretty decent feedback across the board. Um, there, there is some, some people talking about my speaking ability, um, like, uh, and I, I've actually, it's something that I need to work on, but apparently I, um, mumble or, um, begin to just trail off, <laughs> you know, I'll start on a point and I'll be excited about it. And then my, my energy apparently goes out until I flip slides. Uh, fortunately, uh, my, my composer, uh, my composer talk was right around 50 minutes. Uh, the Sculpin talk was a 30 minute slot and I talked straight for 30 minutes, like right to basically the end of the, the, the slot. Uh, but I had a hundred and no, I think I had like 80 slides. So someone told me that I had like four slides a second. So even though I was basically excited for the, for the first slide and then it was kind of trail, I was like flipping them every 20 seconds. So it, it ended up not being too bad. Uh, it wasn't as noticeable for the, for the Sculpin talk. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, I, I still have a lot to learn on the, on the speaking thing. And, uh, I feel really fortunate that I've had so many opportunities to speak were the uh, were the talks recorded? Uh, the talks were not recorded. Uh, I thought the talks weren't going to be recorded across the board, um, but apparently, uh, the in the big room, every other talk was recorded. All oh, right, that makes sense. Yeah, so I I don't know. I, I I had been told the talks weren't going to be recorded, but it turned out some of them were. So uh, I don't know how they're going to publish those or whatever. Yeah, I was just going to say I think listening to the recording of yourself can really help it'd mm-hmm. be nice to get that kind of feedback and then to listen and think to yourself yes you know just just listening to myself last week on the podcast i um i felt like i did too much air in and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing and i've been trying to think about it a little bit coming into this week yeah so i hope i don't sound too wooden <laughs> yeah you can you can try too hard and overcompensate i, I know that that happens with me sometimes uh, speaking of composer and talking, um, one of the things that I just recently start, started announcing was that I'm going to be doing my uh, composer talk, uh, the semantic versioning and stability demystified talk uh, for Nomad PHP. Uh, oh the, yeah, on the the European side of the of the schedule, uh, it's on July 24th. So um, I've, I've actually had a bunch of people ask me uh, offline, "Hey, are you ever going to give your talk?" you know, on Nomad PHP because I, I can't get to any of these talks. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think his uh, Twitter handle is TRQ. I think it's Tony something. Um, I, I, I'm totally butchering it and I feel bad about that. But uh, he asked me a long time ago, you know, specifically, are you going to be on Nomad PHP? I think he's in Australia or something like that. So he never makes it to talks in the States. And to date, I haven't had any international talks. So, so I made sure and pointed that out to him and said, Hey, check it out. It's, I'm finally going to be on Nomad PHP. So, um, pretty excited about I, that. I think it's a really good topic for Nomad as well. Um, it's a really cross cutting topic that applies to a lot of people. And mm-hmm. it's not, while it is a specialist subject, it's a, it is a specialist subject that everybody should be familiar with. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you're using composer, it applies to you and who isn't using composer these days. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it'll be a good one. I think I've I've not actually seen the talk before, but I've seen these slides. I think you showed me the slides before, and uh, and it, yeah. the content looks good. Yeah, I'm, I'm I I so Lone Star PHP called me out on my um, 
I, I, I've been submitting two talks, Managing Dependencies with Composer and Composer Semantic Versioning and Stability Demystified. Uh, up until Lone Star actually accepted both talks, uh, there was about a 60% overlap in the content between those two talks. So um, it's actually changed quite a bit over time. And, you know, especially since then, I, ma I made a big effort to make sure that those talks were sort of self-contained and completely separate. Like there, there's maybe five or 10% overlap, especially in the semantic versioning sections. Um, but the, yeah, so it's been kind of fun to see how that talk is sort of, uh, my original managing dependencies with Composer talk has sort of spun out into three talks now. Um, it's, I, I have a whole talk on autoloading, which is actually one of my favorite talks because it's a lot of fun. And then I have the one that's specifically on uh, stability and semantic versioning. So it's been fun to see that, that happen over the last six months, basically, you know, iterating on talks. So, um, I don't know if people realize how much time it takes speakers to really prepare for talks. Well, when you did the, the talk at Symphony Live, how long did you guys work on that? I think you did that with Igor, right? Uh, well, to be honest, we hadn't done a whole lot of actual talk preparation until we got mm. to uh, Portland. Um, mm -hmm. So we'd, we'd actually written some code. So all the sample code had been written in the weeks leading up to it. Mm -hmm. um, but we were going to be in Portland for the week, and we'd never actually met in person. So we actually met in, in the airport of Philadelphia. Uh, we chatted on the then a little bit, and then we spent like a couple of days preparing slides and material. And before the talk, and I think we did, we didn't actually do one practice run together. We sort of practiced individually, the, our parts individually, but we didn't actually. But I think it came off okay. The the other talk I did, I did quite a lot of preparation, and it, it stressed me out. Did that? I'd not been particularly well leading up to it, and just you know, I, it was a, again a new talk, so preparing and then working on your confidence and your delivery it takes a lot i think and it, even even once you prepared the material you, you could just got to practice and practice and practice and you know and that takes time because i was usually practicing and recording it listening back you know so if you've got taught 50 if you record 50 minutes worth of content that you've then got to listen back to you're doubling that time every time and uh, yeah so it's a lot of work um it's not for the faint-hearted, especially when you're starting out, I think mm. once you get your confidence up, and especially, I mean, some people deliver the same talk lots of times if it's a good talk. And I imagine they all tweak it a little bit, and they all, every delivery is slightly different. But I imagine once you've got a level of confidence and you can go from there, I think it'll be a little bit easier. Yeah. My, I hope so, anyway. Yeah. my um, I, I've, I've had this interesting thing where my original talk like the, the composer talk i did last year and i've sort of been iterating on that um and i found that i've had a hard time bringing energy to that talk this feels very technical both of them feel very technical whereas like the auto loading talk the the topic was smaller so i had to fill up more time with more interesting stories and things like that um and my energy level, I feel, is a lot higher for that. Whereas when I when I'm doing the composer talk, it's very technical and dry, and you know I try to put a couple of things in there for for laughs. I haven't actually dropped to the the level of just throwing in the obligatory cat picture or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I get told a lot that yeah, your talk was great, but it, well, there wasn't much energy there. You weren't excited about it, and it's like, how do I 
make a talk that's that makes me excited about composer you know i'm i am excited about it but i'm not i'm not trying to sell the excitement on it i'm trying to excel how to use it so i i don't know so it, it's one of those things where i almost feel like it would be fun to start over again on the talk from scratch and and build it from the from a new perspective instead of trying to take what's already there and and tweak it i guess so well definitely i mentioned in the last week's pod uh, last week the last show and one of the things, the problems I have with is uh, coming up with ideas for talks. And I have plenty of I, I, I could come up with topics quite quickly and quite quite easily, but it's got to be a topic that I'm interested in. Or I'm interested in talking about, should I say? But also, people are interested in listening to. You see, I see sort of what I'd call serial conference talk people giving talks on beginner subjects, which I needed. Because there's always beginners at conferences, but I've really had them, at this stage in my career. I really have very little interest in sort of talking about that kind of stuff. I think I could, but I just don't. And I, I feel like I'd probably be, I wouldn't be able to do it justice because I wouldn't be that excited about it. If you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah. But at the same time, those kind of talks are always needed at conferences, and if you want to go to more conferences. You know, the best way to do it is to be a speaker because you get your quite often get expenses paid, and you also have a. It gives you an instant boost into actually sort of um, enjoying the conference because your people come talk to you, which is fantastic. Rather than you know you having to shoehorn your way into conversations, and you get to talk to the other speakers, you've got that wealth of knowledge already there. Um, so I think you need to sometimes at some point, if I want to do more talking at conferences, I'm going to have to compromise. And somehow make myself excited about something that I'm not necessarily that excited about at this minute. Yeah. Have Have you seen the slides for my auto loading talk? I think I have. I, mean, I probably I don't recall looking at them, but if you've put them out there, I probably looked. So. Yeah that 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 was something that. Um, so uh, at, at Tech, uh, we actually had a really good representation from Madison PHP. Like um, I would say. I don't know, it felt like everyone was there, but I know that it was probably only like a third of the third of the people, but it was like a third of the user group. It seemed like was there um, a bunch of the people. Uh, I'd say two two of the people were volunteering for help, uh, like like helping the crew, like they were um, like the in the rooms, um, like supporting the speakers and whatnot. Um, and one of the comp there, there's one of the companies in town here that uh, I think it's discount office supplies. I think that was the group that was there where they have a sizable PHP development team. Uh, I don't know how many people they actually have, but I want to say there's at least five or six people who regularly come to the meetup and all of those people were there. So like walking around there just felt like an extension of Madison PHP. So it was kind of cool. Uh, but one of the, um, uh, one one of our one of the three man uh, three organizers of Madison PHP is uh or that's uh Beth Tucker Long, and she's I can't remember how she's affiliated with PHP Architect exactly. Uh, I know that she's like heavily involved in it, but I don't. I think she's like the one of the editors or something like that, and does a lot with like getting authors for the books. Um, so she was there. Um, yeah, so it was it was really really cool seeing all of the, the, the Madison PHP people there. But uh, Beth is a really good uh, evangelist for getting people to uh, talk and speak. So at some point, uh, I said something about uh, the fact that during my composer talks, no one knows about auto-loading. 
And she said, hey, how about you do an auto-loading talk in January? And so this was like in October or something like that. So I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. And then I, when I started to think about it, I'm like, how am I going to talk about auto-loading? Like it's, it seems like it seemed like such a, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's going to be like five minutes. <laughs> you know, here's an auto-loader and this is what it does. But it turned out to be like a lot of fun um, to do that. So I, I don't know. It's, I, it was kind of a neat experience for me to see how... Um, to really see how you could take one of those basic, basic concepts like you're talking about and building it and finding, you know, we use it all the time. So it's kind of like mundane for us, but you know, it's a lot to it and you can, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can talk around it as well. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Do, you, do you, did you cover the sort of the, uh, the aspect oriented programming auto loaders that are out there? I can't remember the name of them. One might be go AOP, I think. No, um, I, I, I was basic. <laughs> so my, uh, my basic thing was talking about, um, PSRs like, uh, PSR zero and PSR four, um, just ca- to kind of give an, I- people an idea of those. And, um, my big bullet point throughout it, like that I would keep flashing on the screen was don't write an auto loader, <laughs> um, pick an auto loading standard. Don't write an auto loader. And use composer was basically the gist of my talk so it still came back to composer which was kind of amusing i, I got a few smiles out of that because people realized what i was going for um so yeah i was i was really talking about the guts of auto loading and where it came from like kind of like the history because there's a lot like i know that um like you, you mentioned earlier that you know who isn't using composer there's a lot of people not using composer and even even at the to- even at the conferences, I, f- I feel like that's not even a good subset of people, because I would say half of the people that came to the talk had used Composer. But well, no, all of them had. There were three people total that had never used Composer before in in the talk that I went to. and I and I told them straight up, I was like, okay, well, this is this is going to be useful for you, but if you've never used Composer, I'm not, I can't talk about the basics. So this, this might be too much for you, but you know, everyone in that room had used Composer, but there's like tons of developers who are still working just in WordPress or like Drupal six and and earlier, lots of legacy applications out there where people aren't actually using Composer and they aren't even using namespaces. They aren't using cloud, you know, they're still doing inline uh, requires and includes all over the place. So, you know, I I started to pick that up as I gave these Composer talks and I would talk about autoloading. I said, okay, well, how many people have configured an autoloader or how many people have used an autoloader? And I would get blank stares and three people would raise their hands. (laughs) And I'd be like, yeah, okay. So the rest of this, you know, the next, 20 minutes of my talk is on auto loading and you're not going to know what it is. You know, you aren't going to have any idea. So it's, it is, it is hard when you get to the point in our careers, like we are and like our development life cycle. And it's like, we don't, we don't realize that, you know, we're taking a lot of stuff for granted and we have a lot of knowledge on those things. You know, we're the people who can teach people and, and help them learn why it's important to, to do these things or, you know, give them the technical reasons why, you know, try to find a way to, to uh, explain these technical concepts that they might not otherwise know. So, definitely, yeah, that's my sort of ignorance. But um, I, I do it all the time. It's really hard to reach out of your bubble sometimes and realize. Um, in in line with that, um, PHP Architect. Have they? I mean, they just announced a new conference that's supposed to be trying to target sort of the whole PHP ecosystem in terms of the 
sub ecosystems like Drupal and WordPress that you know mm-hmm. Drupal's as big as PHP is itself in a way, isn't it? Um, yeah. When I when, when I met you at Symphony Live in Portland, DrupalCon Symphony Live was sort of bolted onto the side of DrupalCon, mm-hmm. and I was amazed at how big DrupalCon was. I knew Drupal was big, but I couldn't believe how big it was. Um, you know. So maybe if you submit those composer talks to PHP World, you've got to be got to be in with a good shot of getting accepted there because, like you say, there could be a lot of target audience there for you. If yeah. those, I did see um, a website the other day, Roots.io, I think, was, which was um, an attempt at trying to start a composer ecosystem for WordPress specifically mm. uh, to manage WordPress and plugins. I think I assume uh, as well as front end stuff with composer. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I saw. Um... I can't remember who gave the talk. It might have, I don't, I, I shouldn't guess. Uh, at Midwest PHP, I went to a talk on modern WordPress development. And there's uh, something called W Packagist, which is basically a packagist for WordPress. So this, it's, I think it sounds like what you're talking about. And basically he went through this whole process of installing WordPress itself using Composer. And so yeah, it seemed like there's, you know, people kind of going in that same direction. It doesn't solve the fact that Composer or WordPress itself isn't friendly necessarily to certain development yeah. practices, but it's definitely going in the right direction. So that's pretty cool. And speaking of, uh, I think it's, uh, so it's PHP World, I think is the name of the, the, it, the yes. conference. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Uh, so just this morning, I was thinking more about uh, Composer and the, the talks that I've been giving, and I've, I can't remember who told me, someone, someone mentioned that I should just give uh, a training session on Composer, because a lot of times I feel like I'm pretty constrained. So I was thinking that I might try to pitch that. Um, ZenCon is coming up, PHP World, um, there's a whole new crop of uh, conferences coming up this fall and into next year. So I was thinking that I might might actually try to pitch that and see if I could actually do a, uh, a training session or a workshop, you know, like a three-hour, four-hour thing going through some of these things. So I haven't done one of those before, so it would be pretty, it would be, it would be a pretty big deal if I managed to do that. And I can't imagine how much work that's going to be, but it seems like it might be good. I'm quite confident that you, you could pull it off personally. I'm quite confident that there's a need for it and people would want to be on that workshop. Uh, so yeah, go for it, man. Um, I wouldn't cool. help with anything you need, you know. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it. I think it's going to be good. I'm also, that's somewhat related to that. I'm also happy that I don't have a conference to go to for the next two months. <laughs> uh, it's been four. Like I've, we've had, uh, I've had four straight conferences now, like for each month: uh, January, February, March, January, February, March, and April. I guess. No, oh, in May. That's- you just reminded me, yeah, something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, have have uh, Luke and Rebecca been coming with you? Yeah, so that's that's actually something that's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, let's hear about that, man. I, I like the idea. Yeah, yeah. So um, my my wife has a uh, – she's a stay-at-home mom, um, and she also does artwork. So if you, if you ever look at something like, say, the Sculpin website and you see uh, Jackson, uh, the Sculpin logo – or the Sculpin mascot, I call him. Um, she actually designed him. Uh, she she painted the hard copy version of that as a little fish, and then you know I scanned it and vectorized it and whatnot. So she, uh, we both have really great uh, 
flexibility in our jobs. So she can pretty much go anywhere and she can, you know, we can take her painting supplies if we need to, or she just doesn't have to paint for a few days or whatever. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of flexibility and, uh, the first conference that she went to, uh, with me, uh, was sunshine PHP. So that was a lot of fun because I was down in Miami. So Luke came down, he got to go see the beach. He got to hang out. Um, I really liked sunshine PHP. Um, and it might just be that it's my was one of my first big conferences after Symphony Live, but the between the experience of having uh, Beck and Luke there, um, and also being like the first big conference, and also being in Miami during <laughs> during January, this was a horrible January uh, in in Wisconsin. It was so much ice and snow and negative thirty degree weather. It just was horrible. But all of these things combined, uh, the conference was actually in the same hotel. And they had this awesome like social hour every night. I think it's actually the, the hotel that has the social hour, but it made it really easy for uh, the family to be involved. So, you know, six o'clock rolls around, everyone starts congregating in the atrium. Uh, Beck and Luke can come down. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, Chris and Liam. Uh, Liam is uh, uh, Beth's son. So, and Chris is her husband. Um, so they were there too. So Luke and Liam were just running around all the time playing and, you know, we could just sit there and hang out and it was a, it was a really, really great experience. So it's, um, it's something that we wanted to do more. She wasn't as interested in going to Dallas, so she didn't go to Lone Star. Um, but we did go as a family to, uh, Midwest PHP, which was in Minneapolis. It's a five or six hour drive from here. So we went there and hung out and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, she did come to tech too. So Beck and Luke came to tech. Uh, she, she actually lived in Chicago. Uh, when I met her, I was living in Seattle at the time. Um, so she, she knew Chicago. So she, it was kind of like going back home for her. So she had some friends that she could go meet during the day. Uh, you know, I, so I've, I've been to conferences both alone and with family and there's, there's, there's pros and cons to both. Um, it's really nice to have them there so that they aren't missing me. <laughs> um, and, you know, that I still get to see them at night or whatever, but it's also kind of hard because, uh, it's easy to feel a pull to them. Um, when yeah. I might otherwise be like, you know, game night or whatever, you know, people are playing, you know, magic until three in the morning. And it's like, I kind of want to do that too. And I don't feel as, as much need to do that. Or, you know, I, I feel like I, Choose to go spend time with my family. So it, it, it's, it's pros and cons, but it, it is it is fun and it's really great. And um, not a lot of people get to do that. So I feel pretty, pretty privileged. Yeah, it definitely uh, seems interesting to me because there's so many. Um, I definitely like to get some to some more conferences, particularly in the States. And that's, of course, somewhere my family would be particularly keen on going to. Mm -hmm. Florida would be the, the perfect place uh, to get started. And um so it really so when I I think I actually saw a couple of photos on a Twitter feed or something first, and I was like, oh, well, you know, family's gone with him. I thought that's cool, and I thought, well, yeah, I think we could pull that off, you know, um, especially somewhere like the states. I wouldn't. I, the last conference I went to was in Poland, and my wife and kids wouldn't really want to go to Poland in the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, they wouldn't have anything to do. But to go somewhere like Florida, um, you know, they could have a whale of the time while I was actually doing the conference, and then. They could actually do a bit of socializing, and like you say, you've got to find a balance of um, doing the conference things and spending time with your family. But if it means I can get to more conferences, I'd be I'd be uh, really really keen on doing that. So uh, 
you never know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good option. Um, and you know, Sunshine PHP, I I can't give that high enough praise. That was a that was a great great thing. It it could very like I said, it could very well be just the the first big conference syndrome. <laughs> you know, wh- the first thing that you do is always really good. Like Symphony Live, like for me was was a really good experience too. Um, but this seemed like a different sort of thing for some reason. Um, so yeah, it, it a little broader community. I got to meet a lot of, a lot of other people there. Um, it wasn't, it didn't seem as closed off as symphony live was. And I think symphony live also suffered from the DrupalCon partnership or the DrupalCon whatever that was, um, uh, because it was kind of segregated. So it sort of felt like there was this big thing going on, but we were off in a corner all by ourselves. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, that that was kind of an interesting thing, but yeah. So um, it w- it was a lot of fun. I I would I would really like to be able to go to uh, Sunshine PHP again if if I get an opportunity to. We ended up staying three days later. Um, so after the conference, like I, I that that was kind of what I was able to use to leverage a little extra conference time over family time was that after the conference we were going to spend three days going to the beach and exploring Miami and things like that. So um, if, if you do come over, I, I imagine, especially for you, if you ended up coming over to the States, you would probably be able to swing an extra, you know, four or five days to hang out. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think if we came to Florida, I'd probably like do a fly drive and, you know, do the conference and then we'd go all over the shop. Um, yeah. And again, to be honest, most places in the States, I mean, Florida is a, a, an obvious one because of the beaches and, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But even other places, I'm sure the kids could have a great time. Uh, yeah. But we'll see. So, are are you actively submitting talk proposals? No, I haven't done for quite a while. I think I, I submitted one or two at the beginning of the year, um, but I really, really struggled to come up with ideas. And and um, so, yeah, I would like to do some more talks, but I don't know what to talk about. I am not finding anything particularly interesting at the minute. I I tried to. Um, come up with a proposal based around the TDD's dead stuff uh, just because I'd like to talk about some of the a lot of the testing stuff we see at uh, PHP conferences tend to be so unit testing and then a little bit of around the edges but uh, I was thinking about getting into a bit more of the theory behind testing and, and that kind of thing but I don't I couldn't come up with a decent proposal so I've, I stopped working on that mm-hmm. um, other than that no I'm not actively submitting but I would like to at some point. I'll I'll get back in the rhythm and, and, and come up with something at some point. Cool. Well, I'd be happy to brainstorm with you sometime if you want to come up with some other ideas. So I think it would be great to uh, see if you can get over here to the States. Definitely, yeah. Uh, that would be really cool. Cool. And do our first live show. Yeah, that would be awesome too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've, uh, I've not actually been doing a lot. I had a couple of days off work um, and I didn't it was there were non events we uh, we just hung out and played at home and things i had a i talked about the mentoring pinsy mentoring earlier i had a nice little we had a we call once a week we just spent about half an hour in a hangout and talk but it was i felt like yesterday actually went well like really well in terms of i actually showed him some stuff that was good and uh, all i was doing was actually he'd he'd been to laracon and he'd um, come away I think he said two or three talks had talked about the sort of command pattern and I think the people have been looking at DDD and things like that and and he was interested in that kind of thing and I kind of showed him, he's, um, and uh, Daniel his name is, he's, he's uh, done a lot of study in the Uncle Bob stuff so he's 
Uncle Bob's clean architecture and he, he thinks about use cases and use case requests and use case responses. And I kind of shown him that something like the command pattern and, and the command bus, the things that they were using uh, or that were discussed in those talks at Laracon were very similar to what he was doing but kind of different terminology and um, I think they were almost, the, Roman, uh, the command bus type thing is almost just one way, there's no responses, you don't get responses back, it's just a fire and forget with a command. And that was interesting because I took I felt like I took something he knew and I just showed him how to go from that to this and he was he kind of like felt like it was um this the things he'd heard about the conference actually and that seemed sounded kind of cool actually seemed less of a big deal once I showed him that he kind of already knew this stuff it's just a different slant and a different bit of terminology and that was quite nice I felt 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 quite good about the uh the hangout in that way um what what else have I been up to Work-wise, not a lot. I've uh, been doing some more stuff with Amazon, so the queue services things, and that worked out quite nicely, which is always good. Yeah, that's about that's about it. I've uh, my open source has been lacking. Um, mockery, I've, I'm a bit behind on issues, and it's usually because they're so weird. And I've, one came in today. Is there's a uh, it works on five point five point 13 but not on 5.5.14 something to do with serializable interface and you know when you're thinking oh no because mockery is a lot of code gen- so it uses reflection to actually examine other people's code and then code generation to create the the mocks of that code and it's really messy and so I've not been putting much time into that and I should do so I should really commit to doing something on mockery in the next week or so um, I've been as you know, I've been I've had the madness for a little idea of a, an app the last couple of days, and I can't really get it out of my head. I'm not going to talk about it just yet, uh, but next week, next next show, I'll probably talk about it. it depends on whether I'm going to go ahead or not. Uh, if I decide not to go ahead, I probably won't mention it because I'll be I'll have come up with reasons as to not bother doing it. But I, I once I get something like that in my head, and I, I'm still not sure it's actually that good an idea, but I'm excited about it. And I'm wondering if I should actually just roll with it just because I'm excited about it at this point rather than not having anything to be excited about. Uh, so we'll see about that. Other than that, I've played golf, played with the kids. The weather here is awful at the minute, really wet. So, yeah, and I've been doing DIY because our shower started leaking. So, not a lot of exciting <laughs> stuff, I'm afraid. Nice. You ended up having to. Uh stay at home a few days or take care of the kids a yeah, few extra definitely. days uh, Rebecca went down to London to visit a friend um, so um, Rebecca went to university in Canterbury uh, she's down south near London and so she got free, a few friends there, good friends and she occasionally goes down to visit them so she was only really gone for about 24 hours but um, it just messed up our, our routine there. my mum usually would have been taking care of Rowan my son but couldn't do it because she had to take my grandma to the hospital, so that meant I had to look after Rowan. So I I actually booked the day off work uh, just so I didn't feel stressed um, or I didn't feel like obliged to try and catch up on work that I'd missed and stuff. So yeah, so that's it, and uh, not a lot to talk about. Do you want to start talking about um, being a lone wolf? Sure. Um, or is there anything else you want to you? No, I, I, I have a couple. I have a couple of other updates and things, but I've well, go, talking, go for I've, it then. I've been talking a lot, so maybe we could we could put some of that at the end. 
Um, it doesn't bother me. I'm happy listening. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, as far as work stuff goes, I didn't really talk about work stuff. Um, yep. Conferences uh, take a lot of time, and then you don't do work stuff. <laughs> so, uh, so I didn't. I didn't actually get uh, to do a lot of stuff uh, work related uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I have been doing some fun design work, trying to uh, build a, a common workflow. Uh, for both Stripe checkout process and Amazon uh, login and pay with Amazon. That's been kind of a fun little exercise in modeling to see, um, you know, the, the the two workflows are completely different and trying to find a way, find the best way to sort of uh, account for both of them in a way that's kind of graceful. I know the, that we talked about that the other day and you said, well, sometimes you just have to not try to make them the same. Um, so, but it's good to sort of look and see what it is that that is different so that you can make that decision. Like some of the, some of it can be the same, but, but other parts can't be. So there's, there's a lot of refactoring that needs to be done now that I look at how Amazon does things. Uh, for example, I was trying, uh, originally was keeping, uh, sort of a synchronized copy of, uh, basic credit card information, basically the, the type of, uh, type of card and the, the last four, so I was going to keep those synchronized locally. And I think I'm just going to do away with that entirely because uh, I don't think I ever get that information from Amazon. So there's no point really in keeping track of that. So that's the kind of stuff that I've been looking at, trying to see um, how that's going to work out. So that, that's been a lot of fun. Um, and, and yesterday I actually uh, met with two new clients. Uh, they were potential clients, but I'm, I have the feeling at this point that they are actually going to be starting to work with me uh, starting next week. So uh, that was pretty exciting for me. Uh, to, awesome. To, yeah, to have new new consulting work come in, and they're they're both consulting clients, so um, that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And my other consulting client uh, asked me about uh, a new pattern. Um, he stumbled upon um, uh, he stumbled upon um, uh, Paul Jones uh, MVC refinement blog post. Have you have you seen anything about that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I read the blog post, and I am. Um... I actually made a couple of comments on Reddit, I think, uh, to mm-hmm. Paul. But yeah, go on. Yeah, so uh, he's, he's sort of refined it even since that blog post. And instead of action domain response, is now action domain responder. Um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting looking at that and sort of... I, I haven't seen anyone try to create a new pattern before or try mm. to define a new pattern. So I'm not... Sh- I don't know if it's my inexperience or misunderstanding of what, what is being presented, but it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun looking at it and sort of following through. And it seems so close to other patterns. It makes me feel like it doesn't need to be its own thing. Um, But at the same time, I understand that there's differences, like there's, there's, there's important differences. And, you know, if you say MVC and, that means something very specific to a lot of people. And then it, then in the web world, it means something completely different and sort of arbitrary and contrived. So I don't know. It's been, it's been fun looking at it, but I don't know. Uh, I, I ended up telling, um, I ended up telling the person that I don't know if I would recommend anyone building anything based off of it yet. You know, at this point it's, it's brand new and you know, it's, it's basically what you're building anyway. It's just a different name. It's a, it's a name to describe what you should be doing, <laughs> I think. That was my feelings, basically. I think I think the technology in there is pretty much what we do now. 
I think that we name things differently. We've obviously, definitely, MVC has been shoehorned into the web, and and let's be clear, it's the old web as well. It's not. We're not talking. You know, we have you know, front end MVC now, don't we? Which is, or it's actually closer to view model stuff. I don't know, but when we think of MVC frameworks, I like to call them web MVC frameworks because it's not the traditional MVC that we know from design pattern books. And I felt the same as you. When I was reading it, I was thinking, it's nice to talk about these things, and it's nice to explore things, but I, I really don't think it's worth pushing a new pattern to try and describe these things, because we're kind of always doing it anyway. And I don't actually name things like that and MVC. I don't call things when I use a model, or I don't call a particular class a user model, when I talk about model, I'm thinking of quite a big thing in terms of the domain. Um, so, you know, I'd, what I'm trying to say is, what's the difference between model and domain when I'm writing code? There isn't any. I don't. Unless I was writing technical documentation to go alongside my code, I wouldn't mention model and I wouldn't mention domain in the code. So the the code that I write wouldn't actually be any different. As far as action goes, I I I don't I again I that one was difficult for me in that I've been writing what I call focused controls for a long time, which is where I have a one a one controller action that you would have written on Zen framework or whatever framework would be one class for me, and I just have an execute method or an invoke method, and I just call those controllers. They're still controllers to me, just because they only have one action on them doesn't mean that that action is its own thing, or I guess I don't know. And in terms of the responding thing, I think what one of the things he talked about the most was that um, HTTP response isn't just about the contents; it's about the headers as well. And I understand where he's coming from with that, but I, again, I don't really see the need to make any kind of distinction there. Um, right now, I think. For most people, the that MVC part of the web is a solved problem. It may not be named correctly, but I don't think it needs to change. Um, we need to be telling more people to disregard that part as much as possible, you know, and shove things further down the stack. You know, start looking at those architectural patterns like hexagonal and you know that ports and adapters, those kind of things, uh, because the the web layer really doesn't matter once you get. If you get it thin enough and get it docile enough, I don't think we need to change the patterns that we're already using or change the names of them because I don't. When was the last time you talked about MVC, really? Apart from until this was brought up, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I haven't. I haven't mentioned it. I don't say it. I don't use the term very often. I say framework. I say web framework a lot, as in I use a web framework to deliver these use cases. I don't say I use MVC to deliver these use cases. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it's something that was probably worth bringing up. It was probably worth writing the article. But I think someone like Paul probably could be spending his time on something better, maybe. I don't think it's worth pursuing any further. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, about the only, the only part of MVC that actually I end up using regularly would be controller. Because, you know, a lot of the frameworks actually use the word controller in some part of the class. But yeah, 
you rarely see uh, model anywhere unless you're using code igniter code igniter actually had a first class model thing that you you interacted with um and view uh view like i i know that like uh, symphony and silex both have views they have this concept of the the view but that can be as abstract as you want it to be it doesn't have to be just you know plain html like this um or like a, a twig template rendered or whatever you know you can do a lot with the view you basically give it data and then the view does whatever it wants to with it um so i don't i don't know it it was interesting uh reading through it and yeah, i actually talked with paul about it a little bit in irc um, I guess I missed the the Reddit thread, um, which is a topic all in itself. Is how uh, I don't do Reddit, <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It was interesting, so it's it's great to hear your your input on that or your your feedback and ideas. So yeah, it's um, like I say, I I feel like a lot of the things you talked about I've been doing. So like I said, I have control clo- controllers that are just one class. Yeah. Um, and the whole responder thing, again, yeah, it depends where you draw the line as what's a view, what's not a view. And I just generally just think of templates as templates and, mm. you know, responses are responses and that's enough for me. I'm quite happy. I spend as little time in that web framework layer that I can these days. You know, I concentrate on getting my use cases correct in the application layer and then that delivery layer can be you know, I, to be honest, I've been, I think I put a tweet out about this a while ago and I've come full, full circle on these kind of things. And I use all the answer patterns now in my web framework layer. I just don't care. Um, you know, service location is fantastic. I use static methods. I use, you know, <laughs> um, and I feel like I can because I, I know why I know the mistakes I am making. Um, so, you know, if I'm happy making them there, then why not? Everywhere else it's, uh, well architected. But not mm-hmm. there anymore. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um, the last thing I wanted to, to sort of talk about was um, I've been having trouble keeping my subcontractor busy. And uh, it's something mm. that I sort of feel like I need to work on better. Um, part of it is uh, a lack of time because I have too much going on. Like I was completely missing for a week for tech um, before that. Uh, we sort of went into crunch mode where I basically had to do everything. Like I did it in like six hours that, that one night and basically just got, got it done quick and dirty. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's something that, uh, I sort of feel like I need to look at more. And I, I I apologized to him last night and said, Hey, I I realize I've sort of been missing in action for almost two weeks now. And yeah, I had warned him that I was going to tech. So he, he knew that I wasn't going to be around, but, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I need to get better at delegating and not not micromanage so much. And I, yeah, this sort of segues into the lone wolf uh, part of the talk pretty well, I think, because I think that's part of it is that I'm used to doing everything, and it's hard for me to separate little bits and pieces in big chunks. If that makes sense, like it's really easy for me to basically set up exactly you know, four hours of work for him, but it takes me work to get there. And it has to basically be a handoff from where I am now. So like I get done with what I've been working on and then I'm like, okay, well that means that the following three classes can be created and these methods can be tweaked and these tests can be written. Um, 
but it's all very dependent upon my workflow and where I'm at in the process. So it's not something where I'm just right now comfortable saying, Hey, you go work on that. You know, go ahead and do whatever you need to. Here's a broad level of, you know, this whole package, go, go work on that. Yeah. Um, so I, I need, I need to work on that and get better at that. And like I said, it, it comes back to being a lone wolf and usually not having to do that. So, so, so you need a few things. You need confidence in the subcontractor. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be able to to just delegate that stuff to him and be confident that he'll make the decisions, right decisions. And that, the other part is being confident that if something doesn't go quite as expected, you'll soon make recovery. Um, and the other thing is, you know, in terms of things like going away for a week, you know, how big's a back, how big's your back, your backlog, and you know, do you need to have things that are ready to go that you probably don't want to do or you don't need to do right now, but for that rainy day when you need some work to give somebody, you know, I don't know. I mean, you can probably build that up with clients. I don't know if you know there'd be clients who maybe want this doing, but they're not in any rush, and you say, well, we'll get it done when we get it done, or I don't know, but. Yeah, I think I think right now there is no backlog. I mean, like I haven't been able to take any time at all to really plan this project, and I think that's yeah. that's the big problem right now. Is that and, and I kind of told him I said, you know what, I'm going to take the next week to plan this project, and then I'll be able to hand more of it off to you, because it's you know it's been a last minute sort of thing, and um, I've sort of been giving a little breathing room on it. Um, you know, we were originally maybe going to get a big bunch of PR that one day, uh, that never ended up happening. Um, and at this point, you know, up until, uh, my big meeting with them on Wednesday, um, there was potential that we were going to do our big drop on Tuesday. So three days from now or four days from now, whatever it is. Um, but th- what we came out of that meeting with is that we're actually going to wait until, uh, July 2nd, I think. So right. I, I, I basically have a month now. So this is going to, room. yeah. So this is going to give me some time to be able to say, okay, this is what we need to build. These are the pieces you go do that and spend as much time as you can on it. I think it'll be a lot easier to do that. But up until this point, it's been, it's really basically been me doing as much as I could that day and then figuring out what they would do, what, what they would do that night, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it, just, in, it, just in time. Yeah. And it wasn't working out very well. So I'm hoping that this will, hoping that this will go a little better from now on. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure it's going to work well, but you know, it's, it's something that I hadn't really been paying much attention to. And it's just another side effect of having too much on my plate. So anyway, I want, of, yeah, go ahead. Well, you mentioned trying to plan ahead. And uh, that's something I have been doing with work for the last, maybe about the last week. And it's one of the first times I've started working on a new feature and, I haven't started coding right away because I'm going to be storing uh, sort of sensitive documents and I wondered if there was some sort of standard with regards to how other people do this, if there's a standard to follow. Like like everyone talks about when it comes to payments, you know, PCI compliance is the, the thing. Um, basically, I'm going to be storing like copies of people's identity documents, so passports, um, driving license, um, and... Obviously, that's quite sensitive, and you won't want people them getting in other people's hands. Uh, but I couldn't find anything. Maybe there is something, and I just couldn't find it. So I've been sort of thinking about that more than doing. And I, 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 I came to the conclusion that I, I'm just going to need to do something like watermark them, encrypt them, and put them somewhere. But that brings its own issues. You know, this is a web app, 
and it's going to be receiving these documents via you know a form upload. So where do you do the encryption? Because wherever you do the encryption is going to have to have those keys. And of course, that's the weakness, you know, where the keys are, you know, because once if those keys get leaked, then it means decrypting and then re-encrypting all those documents, uh, which could be quite a big deal. Uh, and you've got to decrypt as well, so, and it's all on demand. It's not like people can say, I want to see this document, email me. I mean, we could do that, but it'd be a pretty poor experience. It's one of, it needs to be, I want to see this document, we'll fetch it, decrypt it on the fly and show them it. Uh, so I've actually tried to been, been trying to plan a little bit in that sense, and which is something I don't normally do, especially particularly being this lone wolf position where I can make decisions myself quickly, iterate. Um, so yeah, that is something I have been doing with work uh, that I have a, I didn't mention earlier. Hmm. That sounds like an interesting problem. Yeah. Did you come so, to any solutions? <laughs> or are you still no, thinking about it? No, I can. My only sort of thing I'm thinking about is trying to isolate where those keys are. As in, I don't want all the web servers having the encryption keys. So I guess I'm some sort of job server somewhere that will do the encrypting, decrypting on demand um, or a web service somewhere. But then again, you know, you've got to make sure that that web service is locked down and tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I should just try and seek somebody else's opinion who's done this kind of thing before. Uh, I'm sure there must be banks who require Require this kind of information. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure I uploaded a photocopy of my driving license to one of the uh, cryptocurrency exchanges uh, because they obviously are trying to put some restrictions in in terms of money laundering mm-hmm. with Bitcoin and Litecoin and whatnot. So I maybe should uh, try and ask around. Uh, which which does lead into this lone wolf thing in terms of you know being the only guy here. There's no one here for me to ask. So, how how long can, have you been in that kind of position? So, at least two years, I think now, maybe even three. I think it may be three years in October. Although I'm 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 struggling to recall, mm-hmm. but it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a long time, long enough to uh, to know a little bit about the yeah. ups and downs. And the first thing I sort of think about is motivation um being on your own you know holding yourself accountable for work is quite difficult sometimes and getting motivated is quite difficult sometimes uh, which leads into time management you know trying to stay away from you mentioned reddit you don't do reddit now i go through phases where i do and i don't and mm-hmm. sometimes i read stuff and it's like right that's it i'm not reading this stuff ever again maybe <laughs> i'll just click a few you know click links yeah. and mm-hmm. but, but avoid the comments but uh because probably because I'm working on my own a lot of the time, then you know it's it is a, another form of conversation. So I, I I found myself definitely looking the last few weeks, and uh, it's not all bad. There's definitely a lot of waffle in there, but mm-hmm. um, but you've got to limit it, and you've got to you can't spend all day checking checking Reddit. I mean, why do why would I need to check Reddit? I mean, it's not going anywhere, is it? And I'm, I'm not going to miss out on much. In my field of work, if I don't read Reddit every hour or something, yeah, yeah, I have that problem mostly with uh, IRC and Twitter right now. Yeah, 
Um, I'm constantly checking the Twitter feeds, and that's pretty... I, I, I don't know how Reddit works exactly. I, I don't get the sense that it has the same sort of immediacy of, you know, people posting things. Um, but with Twitter, you know, if you don't check it, then there might be stuff you miss. You're going to miss it, you know? And when you start getting to, you know, 300, 400, you know, Twitter follow, or following people on Twitter, you know, it's it starts to be a lot of catching up. Like, if you don't check it every hour, you're going to lose a healthy chunk of stuff that you're never going to get to. Um, you're never going to get to see. But I don't... It's, there's so much stuff there that I don't need to see. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I have a confession to make with Twitter in that... I think I follow about a thousand people, and maybe in the last six months or so, I've actually had a list of the what I'd consider to be my closest people, or the people I feel as though I can't miss what they say. If I, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. I find myself looking at that list a lot, and that's the the list that I'll check throughout the throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And then occasionally, if I'm if I'm really bored, like if I'm sat on the sofa with nothing to do or watch my wife watching telly, then I'll start looking at the full stream. Uh, and in a way, that's quite a nice way to limit things, as in limit how much I consume during the day. So I'm not mm -hmm. spending all day looking at through that whole stream, especially yeah. as that my my follow the people I follow has built up over time. Um, I used to do a bit of domain trading, and so I follow a bunch of people who do domains. I follow a bunch of people who support my football team. Um, and I generally don't need to see what they're talking about during the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because for a long time I've used Twitter as the a tool that's more closely aligned with my work than, for example, Facebook, which I align with my friends and family. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so I, for all I follow a lot of people, I'm, I'm pretty lazy in who I actually follow and keep up with. So but yeah, yeah my my history uh, with being a, a sole developer goes back pretty far, like almost um, as far as like being a, like a remote developer. I would say at least five or six years of sort of being independent and remote and isolated from a team, and for, I really like it in some some respects, but it, it's also pretty lonely. And like, I, I took this to an extreme of basically being like my own little Island where I was the only one who had information. And, you know, especially if you look at PHP community in the, over the last couple of years with shared code and whatnot, it's definitely changed a lot, but there was definitely a lot of silos back in the day, you know, WordPress and you know, Drupal and Zend and Symphony. And there's like these vertical communities that if you weren't part of those communities, then you were basically building your own little ecosystem. And you might go find some code from someone else, but you don't want to pull in all of Symphony to get access to their one little thing. So you would basically cut and paste code into your own environment, or you would, um, when I say you, I'm saying me, um, because I don't know how many people actually did this. Um, I had a sense that it was a lot of people, though, that it was easier to just copy and paste classes on a case-by-case -case basis than it was to actually integrate with, you know, especially if you're talking about like, okay, well, I can't have Zend and Symphony both in my project because they just don't work together. And they, they were so intertwined that it was really hard to do that. But if you could find a class that you could pull out of there and just put the class in your own file, then you were great. Um, so I, I felt very 
I don't know, disenfranchised with the whole open source thing. You know, I had a couple of frameworks that I had built over time. Um, I, had, I had my own ORM that I had written. Uh, I had my own dependency injection container. I had my own um, everything. And I wasn't really pushing them super hard, but no one was using them. You know, like there was nobody finding them. And like, I felt like I was contributing software that no one was using and no one was ever going to. And I thought, what's this whole open source thing about? Like, if no one uses it, how do you get popular? How do you become Symphony? How do you become Zend? And I think I, I was doing it wrong. <laughs> and, and I understand that now. But what I didn't understand was the community matters. You know, actually, you know, I, sh I should have gotten involved in those communities. I should have gotten involved in Doctrine early on. And, uh, you know, I don't always agree with the way projects are going. Um, and that was that would lead me to basically roll my own. So like, for example, Doctrine, you know, not Doctrine 2, but original Doctrine was, I don't remember if it was Active Record or something. It wasn't very friendly. It wasn't very good. And I didn't want to use it. Like, I, I knew I didn't want to use that. So, you know, I would do my own thing. And so I was never really engaged in any communities. So I was pretty, I was pretty happy when I finally realized that, you know, I'd written a, a one of my first, uh, one of my first companies, um, not companies, like it was like, a, it was actually like a service or a product. Um, and I wrote it on my framework and realized that I was never going to go anywhere. Like the framework was, was dead. Like I, so much stuff that had to be done. It was just going to take way too much time to, um, go anywhere with that. So I finally decided I need to basically stick a knife in my, my projects and walk away from them. Um, and that's how I found Symphony. You know, I finally, you know, I logged into the IRC channel, um, started like sitting around there and just kind of seeing what people were doing. I had a really bad experience with my first pull request or my first interactions. <laughs> and it kind of was like, well, screw these guys, <laughs> <laughs> screw these, screw these symphony guys. They, they, I, I, they don't want to work with me. I don't want to work with them. Um, and, you know, and again, I was doing it wrong, but it was my mentality that, you know, I, I thought I had a lot to bring to the table. And if they didn't see that, then what was the point of trying to work with them? And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I kind of simmered down after six months and kind of saw how Symphony 2 was progressing and kind of heard about Composer. That's how I actually found out about Composer as everyone was talking about, well, you know, we aren't going to have the vendor.sh file forever. We're going to have Composer. And I was like, oh, what's that? And kind of, you know, then I joined another IRC channel and met Jordy and uh, Naderman and I, I don't remember how to pronounce his first name. So uh, is Nils, it, Nils, yeah, I think yeah. So yeah, it was um, it was it was kind of uh really good to see like all of these people working together and sort of made me really desire that, <laughs> um, and it was really different because like I really had nobody to talk to and my friend Josh who, um, you know, I, I've worked with him off and on over the years as well, but not, not a lot. You know, even when we were working together, we didn't actually work on the same projects together. We, we had a, uh, we created a consulting company together and, um, but we still had our separate projects. Like there was the project Bo was on and the project Josh was on. Um, so it was still pretty, pretty isolated. And back then he was even more design heavy than he, um, than he is now. Um, so there were, there wasn't as much overlap at all in what we were really doing. So, um, but he used to ask me, he's like, you know, who are your men or like, who do you, who, who do you look up to? Like, who are your mentors? Who are your 
peers or whatever. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, like he was asking me this stuff like five years ago, six years ago, like who, like who, who are you vetting your ideas against? And I was like, I, I don't know though. Who, who would I, I didn't know anybody. There was nobody else I knew like in my own circles. Um, all of the people that I used to work with in California, a lot of them don't like to talk about code outside of work. Like there was like, like the stuff that you and I talk about all the time is great. And I, but I didn't know anyone like that. So as far as I knew, nobody else was into anything really. It was like, I go to my day job and then I go home and I don't know, play computer games or go out at night. I, I don't know what the, these people do. Um, I've tried to reach out to some of them since then and have been like, Hey, I've been going to conferences. Do you want to go to a conference with me sometime? Or what projects are you working on, on the, on the side? And do you want to hear about my projects and do you want to work together? And it's really lukewarm. Like all of the people that I worked with, like back in the day are really not interested in that. I, and I, I don't know. I, I think that probably contributed to the fact that I always felt like no one else was really there. If that makes sense. I don't know. So I, I'm happy that I'm finding more people who are like, yeah, let's work together. Let's talk about stuff. Let's bounce ideas off each other. Um, I think it's really important if you don't have people to work with in the office to find that. Otherwise, you feel very isolated. It The Symphony community has been a godsend for me. Um, I still find it quite funny that I've been to several Symphony conferences. I, I'm quite active online and talk to people, uh, but I've never built anything with Symphony as in the full stack <laughs> framework. Um, obviously, I've used Silex a lot and I contribute to Silex a lot, but I got into Symphony. So. Symphony 2 being built in a way that it was package-centric actually helped me get into the community because I was just using one or two. I started using the dependency injection component before anything else, and that brought me into the community despite not being a you know a really big user or a really big fan. And um, yeah, it's been huge for me because obviously I got into the Silex community, which is a sort of minor subset of Symphony. Uh, it's where I started talking to you, really. I think and. Um, just having that the, the whole thing about a lot of people say when you know when you you want to be the the dumbest guy in the room if you want to learn things and when you're the only guy in the room you're both the dumbest and the smartest you're just not going to learn anything if it, there's a good chance if you don't work on it you're going to deteriorate your skills or you know because you form silos and you come try and probably convince yourself you're doing what you're doing is correct and i find that those open source communities have been a massive help for me and they've helped progressed my career regardless of me being whether I was working on my own or in teams but it again it's the same with Laravel I've been sort of skirting around the Laravel community for a while now mainly because of mockery because they they adopted mockery quite quickly and um, again I'm, I'm probably the only person who does skirt around that community who's never actually used Laravel uh, but it's really cool that you can do that and that because of the, especially with the advent of uh, the, a decent package manager for PHP and people writing decent packages or, or packages that are good enough that will interop well enough, and that communities are starting to join and merge. And again, you're just building a bigger web of people to talk to, and I think that's fantastic. Um, it, and again, especially for people like me and yourself who spend a lot of time on our own. However, it's still difficult. There's still... It's still never easy to bounce ideas off people when they're remote, when they don't necessarily know the ins and outs of your project. And, you know, and there's also things you can't always discuss. 
you know, some things are commercially sensitive that you need to, that you'd keep in-house. And when you're a sole developer, it's very difficult to discuss commercially sensitive things with other developers. And and I think something I found is, um, I mean, talk about rubber duck debugging. I rubber duck all sorts of stuff. And uh, I think uh, that helps me sometimes, you know, in, to help enforce some sort of confidence in the, the decisions I'm making. Um, and of course, TDD, something I've done for a while, helps me with that. That's kind of like rubber ducking to me, you know, especially when I'm writing something like Gherkin, I'm having to write down um, a specification, which I, I, if I wasn't writing Gherkin, there's no way I'd actually write a technical specification for anything I do. I'd like, do you write any technical documentation for the software you write? Not a lot, no. I, I haven't um, jumped into any of that. Yeah, I, I and yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's something that everyone talks about. You should do, or you definitely should should be doing. Um, I have some technical documentation, and uh, every now and then I sort of remember. Oh God, I haven't actually updated it for three months, mm. and I go and look, and not only am I appalled at what I'd actually written in terms of content, but I'm appalled at how things have changed so much since. And I always um, try and think of it in, in terms of onboarding. So you're talking about the subcontractor now. So you're having difficulty uh, planning his work. I I always think of try and think about that when I'm trying to maintain some sort of um, discipline with regards to the project. And I think how how difficult would be would it be to bring in a developer, and get him up to speed, and things, and get him working tomorrow? Would I be able? To, would I have the kind of documentation to? walk him through the architecture of the system, the things it does, the features, would I have the documentation to get his development environment up and running? Even if it's even if there's not documentation, do I have the automation to do that kind of thing? And especially that's another thing I find in, quite interesting when you're a lone wolf. I think automation is even more important because there's so many little jobs that are easy to forget and easy to put off if they're a pain. You know, when you've got a few members in a team, you can hold each other accountable for those things. Maybe it's doing the backups, running backups, or or uh, verifying the backups. Everyone forgets to verify backups. Everyone everyone does backups, but no one verifies. No one pulls them down, runs them, makes sure they're okay. And being a sole developer makes that really hard. I think um, you know, there's no one checking on me to make sure I'm doing that stuff. So if I can do something that automates it. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I'd still do it manually, but something as important as a backup. But uh, if I can automate these kind of things, I can it definitely, definitely help. Things like um, continuous integration. For a long time as a, a lone developer, I, I didn't really think it was very important. And, and I think, uh, what did I do? Something that bothered me. I think I actually, I deployed the wrong branch to production. Because I didn't, you know, if you're in a team, you'd have continuous integration. If you set up a build pipeline properly, you'd have a build server that was building things. It would build the right tag, and then that's where you deploy the code from. But because I'm deploying from my working copy, I'd just switch branch without thinking. Mm-hmm. I'd probably gone to make a cup of tea, I'd probably gone to play with the kids, came back and deployed the branch that I was on. And I was like, oh God, you know. And so that's something that 
I wouldn't think twice about not doing in a team. I would have continuous integration. I'd have some sort of build pipe, if not build pipeline, at least some build steps and a, a staging server and things like that. But because I was on my own, I thought I don't really need to do that. Mm-hmm. And then it only, it only took one mistake to start me thinking, yeah, I definitely need to do that. And, yeah. and I wouldn't be without it now, especially when my build's starting to take you know five, ten minutes to run all the acceptance tests. Um, it means I don't have to run them all the time myself, which is great, so it saves me time. And um, it doesn't actually take that much to maintain it. Um, yeah, and uh, but and uh, of course, if I ever did bring somebody on, I'm ready to go. You know, there's no who's deploying or where do we should we deploy from your working copy or mine? There's no none of that silliness. Yeah, and I also feel like it brings a little bit of air quality. I don't do much in terms of metrics with my my build, but it's there if I need it to. Of course, it does run the tests, which is great in you know, rule number one. Um, I mean, do you do anything like, do you use PHP code sniffer? Or to do, do you maintain standards like that at all? Not really. Coding no. standards? No. No. I, I mean, I, I know PSR 1 and PSR 2 in my head. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I feel like I know them pretty well. For For a little while, I had both php cs and the this uh, i can't remember which the other one was um I, there was a, a linter a php linter or something mm. like that i had them hooked into um sublime text and you know anytime i would save it would tell me when something was wrong or not um something happened somewhere along the way when i decided to start working with php 5.4 where whatever happened it, it wasn't it didn't like what it was seeing. So it was giving me errors all throughout. And I actually have that problem quite a bit with, with different IDEs. If they start getting too smart at some point, they start to hurt. And, you know, it's like, well, I have to start ignoring these errors on the screen or these warnings. And then all of a sudden I'm ignoring them all because you can't trust anymore that that warning or that error you see is actually legitimate. So you start, if you, if you say, Oh, well, it's probably just that. And then you don't go look to see, well, actually, no, it was, a real error. Um, it, it so I disabled it, and I, I go through cycles on that too, where I'm really super into it, and then I'm really super not. So um, it's no excuse not to do something like a Git hook, <laughs> so that anytime I commit code, that it runs it beforehand. Um, but yeah, I, I no. don't, I don't do anything. And to be honest, I feel like coding standards are quite low down the the quality sort of factors. As if you've got a large team, it can be good to standardize because then there's no no question you know yeah just do it this way but only when i suppose it's less important but you know swinging the other way with quality i find when we both talked about over engineering so much and i find it really hard to stop myself gold plating things and you know sometimes i i, I have to really have to reel myself back in and just say i'll oh, just get it done you know mm-hmm. because i could be here for weeks and months gold yeah. plate this thing and without having somebody there to tell you really hard mm-hmm. you know you've got to think about it more yourself because and so that's, a, that's something a cognitive load if you like that you wouldn't have if you're in a team it's, it's shared in a team when you're on your own you have to solely think about that and that's hard mm-hmm. um, and I mentioned onboarding I mean the one of the other things I think about is the bus factor you know if I got hit by a bus tomorrow how would my boss manage um, hopefully he'd be very upset but yeah. <laughs> we're a business, and the business must go on. Yeah. 
and he'd have to hire somebody who would then have to inherit the code, the documentation that I have that's usually out of date. Um, but then it's also all sorts of configuration type things, you know. Um, I talked about encryption earlier. You know, people have to know where those things are, how to access them, um, logins for everything. Uh, we don't use LastPass or anything like that, do you? You know, I probably should, yeah. Sure, but we should probably have a company LastPass vault. I think you can do that. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's 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 terrifying, really. Um, I feel I almost feel bad. I think I think I've done enough, but it, it wouldn't be a smooth transition. I don't think I should work on that a bit, like a little bit more. Yeah, I um, as far as onboarding goes, I usually at the bare minimum try to uh, set up the development environment, like the notes for this is what you would do to launch this code, at least in the development environment. If not, this is how you would you know launch launch the software, you know, publish the software to a live environment. So that I, that is something that I usually try to do if there's any sort of um, difficult, like any sort of pain there. Like if it's going to take work, document it. So even, I think, a, I think almost every Sculpin site that I have has this, like I have like a copy and paste, this is how you build this site sort of thing that goes yeah. in every single document. So that, you know, anyone that ends up on, say, Bo.io's, you know, GitHub page, if you clone it, there's instructions right there how to build it. It's just right there. And it doesn't take a lot to do that sort of thing. Um, you know, some of the other projects, uh, I looked, uh, I just happened to look at my GDK project. Um, I did a integration with, for our wearables product with Google Glass, um, in which, in which case I had to set up the whole Android development environment from scratch basically on my Mac. So I had that all documented. So I just happened to look at that the other day and I was like, oh, wow, check it out. I actually, if I had to go do that right now, I could probably do it uh, because I had had it all listed and, you know, install this package and run run these commands. And this is how you, you know, enable the debugger after you plug glass into your USB port or whatever, you know. I, I did have some notes like that, but that's usually as far as I get is just the onboarding so that someone could at least get the code up and running um, and then after that, there there's not much in the way yeah. of documentation. Well, I have that as well in terms of, I mean, I think if I, off the top of my head now, if, if I was to bring someone into work on my, my day job, it would be a case of check out the code, which is a given. Okay, they'd need to uh, run, create a virtual env with Python, run pip to install the Ansible dependencies. Vagrant up, and then... All being well in theory, they should be able to run make check, which will run the unit test, integration test, acceptance test, and they should just work. But if I'm really honest, I can't remember the last time I did that because <laughs> I'm running on the same machine that I've been using for months and months and months, same working uh, environment, mm-hmm. and I must have changed the provisioning. You know, there must be a hundred commits on the provisioning profile for the for the app, and I haven't checked to see if it will work from a on a greenfield install. Um, yeah. So just like verifying those backups, I you know I I haven't verified that uh, our provisioning works properly, just like that for the dev environment. Uh, whereas if you're in a team, chances are somebody's going to blow up a hard disk or set up a new environment sometime soon. Yeah. And those things kept kept in check and they you know kept on top of. Whereas on your own, it doesn't really happen, or it's not easy to make happen. Yeah, I ran into that problem. Um, it's almost exactly what you're talking about, where um, I had uh, a basic Ansible script to basically provision my my environment. And I had and 
you know, I did Vagrant up and I tested everything. I was fine. Um, and then I added new code that require, um, basically integrated with Stripe, right? And uh, everything worked great in my local dev environment. I wasn't running it through my Vagrant environment. So I published the code and it wasn't until, um, you know, we still hadn't launched live yet or anything like that, but someone went through the staging environment, which was actually also a mirror of the live environment because it was the same code at that point um, and found that clicking the, the checkout button uh, failed. And his, you know, his report to me was uh, it, spit out garbled HTML, but what it was actually doing was, I, I can't remember what it was actually outputting, but it wasn't running any code was the problem. Like, like PHP, like failed. After, wasn't. Yeah. Um, cause libcurl wasn't installed. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was installed on my, my local de- development environment. It wasn't installed on vagrant, but I had never tested that part through vagrant because that code was written after, I had tested Vagrant last. So, you know, it worked on Vagrant. You know, everything worked fine. The site worked fine. I added new code that had new dependencies, but those dependencies weren't in the development environment. So, yeah, it's that sort of thing that you can try to account for it, but, you know, until you actually test it out and have someone who can go test all these things, it's really, really difficult. So I guess that's the important thing to have for the end-to-end testing, which I need to get better at. So, uh, in terms of um, taking time off, illness and holidays, you've just had that with conferences, and it's caused you problems. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the same for me. You know, if I take holidays, at least holidays are planned. Uh, but then things like um, m- myself being ill, my kids being ill, uh, not having childcare, so disruptive. And I always feel like in a team, you know, there's that problem's diluted and. It might affect the team's output, but the team might also be able to pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen. And especially um, from a support point of view as well, I the last time I was really poorly, uh, I remember getting pinged them alerts at about 10 o'clock at night. And I was sat in my, at my desk, shivering with a fever waiting for our hosting company to bring their networks back online because it wasn't they were dealing with it and that's fine but it it wasn't that i was not worried about them dealing with it it was that i can't just expect everything to come back up on you know just because the networks come back up i can't just expect the site to be all okay and mm-hmm. and good so i was literally just sat there waiting at that time of night feeling horrible and you know if i wasn't on my own then somebody else would have been doing that for me. Yeah. Uh, that makes you think. I... Yeah. Yeah. And, um, th- like going to a conference, you know, th- like basically any time off is very hard for me. Um, uh, because... especially, yeah. Cause you're self-employed as well. So it's yeah. no, you're not getting paid when you're taking time off. Right. And, you know, if I, if I go to a conference and I spend a week there, that's a week worth of not working and getting money, um, or at least having the the potential for making money during that time. So it it is something that we have to consider a lot. And like with our family, since, since I can work from anywhere and since no one, like, I don't work with a lot of people very often, um, that it doesn't matter if I'm here or back in North Dakota for two weeks, but if we go back to North Dakota for two weeks, that's a two day drive and that has to happen over weekends. 
And I, I, it's something that Beck and I talk a lot about is that I don't really have time off. Like the, about the most I have as far as vacation is actually going to conferences where I'm technically still working, I guess, like I'm doing stuff that could potentially help my consulting business, but it's not like I'm taking like a week off to do nothing and just play with the family. Yeah. So I found them um, since I started working at home, I found that different because uh, I'm in a job, I get paid holidays and I get I don't know how many a, day, a year, X amount per year. And I found that because my home is also my workplace, um, unless I'm going on holiday or vacation, as you'd call it, somewhere, as in I'm going to this place on vacation, I don't take time off work. Mm-hmm. So in previous jobs in an office, if I had five weeks to take a year and it got to the end of the holiday year and I had a week left to take, I would take a week off work and just be at home being off work Mm -hmm. in this job i haven't taken any time off unless there was a specific reason as in i was going somewhere or i i needed the day off because of this that and the other um Mm -hmm. and that's something really weird it only dawned on me after about 18 months in the job that i hadn't been taking my holidays because i hadn't seen the reason because i'm um so that's kind of important to uh, do you do anything to separate sort of like your your office environment and your play environment, if you like, or your living environment? No, and it's really it's really bad right now. Um because like like I mentioned yeah, last time, um I'm living in a, a basement, basically, and the, the office is not an office as much as a corner of this unfinished basement. So um like the like seriously, like this, there's not much separation, but like physical separation either between like where I live and where I work. Um, so that's, that's why the, the co-working space is pretty nice because it, it allows me to at least focus more, but days like today I'm at home, uh, Monday, uh, we're kind of looking at a schedule for Monday and Fridays. I'm going to work from home and yeah, it is, it is easy to, um, wake up and basically go sit at my desk immediately. Um, yeah, definitely. And so my yeah, and then stay there until you know bedtime, and then walk from the desk and go get into bed. <laughs> so uh, we're in a three-bedroomed house, and when our second child came along, my, what was my office became his bedroom, and I got moved into like the corner of our bedroom. It's actually a walk-in like dressing room, and mm-hmm. so I feel like I spend like seventy percent of my life in my bedroom. I mean that you know sleep six or seven hours a night i work eight to nine hours a day it's quite a lot uh into being in one room as well you know um well i I find it weird and uh it's hard to get away from i've heard of some people doing things like they put shirt and tie on when they're at work albeit it's Mm -hmm. at home and then when they take the shirt and tie off they're no longer at work um i don't do anything like that uh, but it's definitely hard to try and keep some sort of separation yeah, I, I, I have a problem with, uh, so because there's a little, that little separation and are so little separation and the fact that like, I have my wife and son here quite a bit, um, on the other side, I've, I feel like I don't always get a lot done when they're here because of all of the distractions and yeah. And again, the distractions aren't that bad all the time, but it is highly distracting, um, I feel like when I'm not working, I feel like I need to get back to it. Like, I feel like anytime I, 
uh, like to go take a break or like, you know, it's like, I know that I'm supposed to, to say meet you this morning at 8am for our podcast. So what I did was I wanted to make sure I could get ready for it and um, get a lot, you know, I also thought maybe I could get some stuff done. I could, you know, basically check my emails or whatever beforehand. So I got up to go for a run at like 530. But, you know, in in my wife's mind, you know, our running, you know, I, I go for a little run and then she goes for her run. Um, you know, she's thinking, well, you're meeting him at eight. So, you know, we'll be done at eight. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that you can be at your computer by eight. Um, but in, in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I'm done running now. It's, it's six 30. I'm done running. I have an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, it's like, let's hurry. Let's, let's, let's get your run done and let's, let's get done playing. You know, I'll get done playing with Luke so that I can go quick, get started. And, um, because it's right here and, and I'm not here and I know that I need to be or want to be. And it's, I don't know. It's, it, I, I feel bad about it quite a bit because I feel like it makes me not enjoy my time with my family as much as I should. And, and I, I don't enjoy my downtime as much as I should. So. Well, that, that's one of the reasons. So on Tuesday when I had Rowan for the day, I decided to take the day off work because if I didn't, I'd be constantly thinking, oh, well, if Rowan has a little sleep now, I'll be able to get an hour or two in doing my emails. And or if, if Rowan is playing quietly in the corner, maybe I'll get, be able to get my laptop out and do a bit of work, sat the sofa. And then, of course, he comes over and starts smashing the, the laptop. <laughs> and He likes to pull the screen back. And then he says quack quacks because he wants to watch <laughs> videos of ducks on YouTube. Uh-huh. And, and I don't get anything done, and it stresses me out. So I was, I made the decision, right, I'm going to ask my boss if I can just have the day off work. Mm-hmm. And it was so easy. It was, And I actually enjoyed my time with my son because I'd made that decision. I'm not going to do any work today. And it was really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Spe- and, uh, speaking I, I, of which. Yes, you need to. I should, I should probably get going, yeah. Um, okay. We can always talk about more of this stuff for some other time. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, I know that you got to get going, and I should probably get to work. Speaking of, you know, feeling like I need to be doing stuff all the time, it's uh, definitely late yeah. in the day. So, all right. Well, excellent. Um, I guess this is a, a wrap on episode two. Um, a lot of updates for me, <laughs> and uh, discussing about uh, being a lone wolf. So, yeah. All Thanks right. very much, Bo. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. See you next time. That podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox like the music you can thank gorillo for allowing us to sample the track dust kingdom for our intro and outro you can find dust kingdom and other tracks by gorillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled g-r-i-l-l-o 